This is Amateur Logic, episode 116 for April 15th, 2018. This episode of Amateur Logic was brought to you by MFJ, the world leaders in ham radio accessories at mfjenterprises.com, and by ICOM. Communicating has never been more fun. From D-Star to SDR, ICOM uses the most advanced technology in their radios. Hi, welcome to Amateur Logic, episode 116. It's Friday the 13th. I'm George. I'm Tommy. I'm Peter. I'm Emil. And I'm Mike. And, uh, yeah, it's it's been a bumpy ride so far. We've restarted the show how many times? Uh, I've lost count. Yeah. Well, we're going for 13 on the 13th, so. <laughs> yeah, we need to do it again then, I think. <laughs> we probably know. will. <laughs> Well, we have a fun show lined up tonight. Lots of stuff to talk about. And, lots and, of, and lots of people. Lots yeah. of people here. Yeah, full house. It's uh, good to have our our uh, buddy from up north, uh, Mike, VE3MIC, with us tonight. Mike, how are you doing? Doing real fine, George, but uh, officially I'm tired of winter. I, um, I, you know, it's it's one of those years, and it happens every so often, where you get snow right through till well, we're almost to the mid middle of April now, and there's still snow on the ground in places. Although it was raining earlier, um, but uh, <laughs> just before the show, I, I saw this uh, special weather statement appear across uh, uh, as an alert on my phone, and uh, they were calling for snow. So you never know what their weather is going to do this time of year. Wow, I bet, man. It, you know, it has been uh, back and forth here so far all year from uh, one extreme to the other. It Well, not extremes, but more so than it usually does in Mississippi this time yeah. of year. Yeah, I got to go up to New York Sunday afternoon, and I actually got an email from the airline saying expect delays wow. because of the weather. Yeah, we've got a lot of thunderstorms moving through the area. Uh, yep. Later tonight here, yeah, and then it'll be cold again. Got your handy talkie fired up, uh, charged up. Well, I got it charged up. It's not on fire though. I mean, no. it's, you know, <laughs> at least not last time I looked at it. Well, Peter, what's been going on on the other side of the world over there? Well, we've got the Commonwealth Games happening up on the Gold Coast. Um, apart from that, though, uh, not much else. Just business as usual. Although I've got a week off and. I hope to get on to uh, the radio a little bit. I just uh, one quick thing though is I just had a very very bad pun just uh, uh, pop into my head. Uh, I was just wondering if um, Mike was to do um, uh, Morse code, would he use a VE three M I C K E Y? That is bad, Peter. <laughs> no, the, the answer would be Mike would use his his five letter call instead of his six because it's yeah. shorter. <laughs> well, email what's been going on down there uh, near the swamps 
Well, in the swamps, it's uh, raining as usual always, and we have that same line of thunderstorms coming through down here. And uh, we're going to be paying attention to some of the uh, Aries nets in uh, overnight and probably into tomorrow some because there are some pretty good alerts coming through. So, you know, same old, same old. And uh, if we can help, we will. Public service, right? Yep, absolutely. You know, anytime we're doing a show, we got a chat room going on at the same time while we're uh, actually doing the recording. It's amateurlogic.tv slash chat. If you're watching live, go over there and join us. Uh, join the folks in there. Uh, we kind of watch it back and forth. Uh, there may be something slipped by us every now and then. So if we don't answer, uh, you know, we're, we're talking. <laughs> yeah. If uh, Like I always say, if you're watching the live stream and you're not in the chat room, you're missing half the fun. So come join us over yep. there. But you you do get a half of it right here live on camera. You do. We'll guarantee at least 50%. <laughs> Guaranteed. <laughs> yep. Uh, well, a lot of things to talk about tonight. Um, uh, where do we even start? I tell you what, let's, let's just jump right on in. Uh, email, I understand you've been doing some more work on the cheap old loop. I have been. Um, you know, the first segment we looked at uh, the pieces, parts of what I was thinking about and how to get them for cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, and I followed through with that and put it together, put it in the air, and did some tests online. So that's going to be uh, the rest of the part two of my uh, cheap old loop. Okay, awesome. cool. All right, I think I've got all the parts I need here. We have the uh, baling here and some fishing line that we use for the uh, air gun to shoot it up in the tree. I did pre-measure this um, conductor here for the antenna to make sure I have enough. And also the uh, support PVCs and some of the rope. And also there's a keel in there uh, to use. I think we got it all. We'll see. Good boy. Good boy. Get those parts. And here you see I made the uh, triangle side that will support the antenna. The rope is kind of hard to see here, but it comes up to its own apex. It goes through the uh, pipe. So I also decided to put in a uh, center support rope to support most of the weight and keep some of that weight off of the uh, conductors of the uh, Delta Loop. Here you can see the 4 to 1 baling that'll be at the bottom and uh, where the coax will hook in. Okay, so here we are. That's the goal. This is the tool, if you remember right, from way back when. And this is the projectile which will load into the barrel. We'll load it into the barrel. It's gonna load into the barrel. Eventually it'll go into the barrel as soon as she puts it in the barrel. I didn't know. <laughs> and we'll see what we can do. And there it is in the center. <clears throat> Got it over on the first try with the air cannon. Now we just have to coax it down from uh, there and then tie a rope to that. 
genuine Cajun line was used to get this first rope into the tree and uh, figured uh, VE3MIC might like that one. I also used my uh, trusty 30-foot pole here that I usually use to clean the uh, siding on my house <laughs> to uh, grab that projectile and drag it down the rest of the way because um, it stayed about maybe 20 feet higher than I could uh, reach above before it stopped pulling itself or the fishing line down. So I just wrapped it a few times around this after pushing it up and pulled it down the rest of the way so I could grab it and work on it on the ground. So there is the supporting rope to the left that holds the carabina up there and the carabina which uh, holds the antenna uh, rope that I'm going to use to hoist the antenna. I did choose a uh, colorful carabina in uh, Mr. Hyle's honor so it should do the job. Alright well there it is the main part of the support the top of the triangle hoisted up with the carabina above it kinda hard to see and uh, there's part of this tree system here now oh, I got the feed point here at the bottom that's a uh, <clears throat> MFJ 4 to 1 ballon in the coax is most of the excess is wrapped here and uh, clamped off and to the shack along the fence. That's pretty good, over. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. It's a hard watch and right now it's sitting down behind my home. So it's on the east side of my home and I have it facing west. We have a little bit of a gusty wind blowing when they were talking about perhaps gusts in the 50 to 60 miles an hour. That's preliminary results on my uh, Delta Loop, which uh, my goal was to improve signal to noise ratios on 20 meters, and I think I've accomplished that. Um, there's a difference. I'm comparing these two. One is a wire, a 204-foot G5RV, about 60 feet at the apex in an inverted V, versus this resonant 20-meter loop. Um, antenna and there is the wire right there and there is the uh, Delta loop which is uh, hanging up there as you saw earlier so it's uh, pretty amazing to me the difference and I usually turn down the RF gain to get some better uh, noise and then we can ignore the meter this is Kilo Zero Bravo off the Tango. Your name is Dick, and I'm taking general check-ins. Over. So, so I'm going to call that mission accomplished for what I wanted. And um, that Delta Loop is relatively simple to make. Might not have been so simple to get up there in the air, but uh, it uh, it did the job for um, what I, my goal was was to improve signal to noise ratio on 20 meters. And uh, I'll have to test it also on uh, 20, uh, on, uh, 28 megahertz or uh, 10 meters as well. So we'll let you know. 
So there's another frequency I like to usually use to test some signal and frequency measurements. Um, good old time signals. Uh, there's the uh, loop. And there is the wire. Of course, the wire is pretty much designed for uh, the lower bands. But you can see there, pretty consistent difference. The loop. USB there. And that's the um, loop. Very nice. Yeah. No doubt. And cheap. It, it, it did the job, yep. And it was cheap. I built it myself. And you guys remember from the first part, my uh, dog helped me get some of those parts. Right. And uh, <laughs> the... Uh, <laughs> The um, no, the the results. Well, I, I was surprised with it, really, uh, especially on, you know, uh, 20 meters, uh, which is what it's really designed for. 71 feet of wire, mm -hmm. and the you notice the triangle was hung upside down, uh, you know, with the apex at the bottom, feet point, and yeah, there you go. That's uh, the reason it's like that is it makes it horizontal, horizontally polarized. Um, Lots of information at that website I got this design from, which is there, right there on the left-hand side. That'll show you all of that, with, along with the distances for each bands and uh, what to do. So uh, I, it worked, and it was cheap. Cool. Yeah, it looked like it was working great. Well, you know what else about the loop antennas? I've always heard that they they're quieter. They're a quieter antenna, and certainly you've proved that with your with your loop. Yeah. Uh, I, you know what? It gave me a lot of headroom, Mike, where I could turn RF gain down even and literally almost eliminate completely the noise, especially with the uh, noise reduction, the digital noise reduction at the IF. Um, and, I mean, it's amazing to me the difference. It was, you know, the wire was, I noticed a little bit more QSB, and, um, you know, I could get, really get that headroom uh, with the loop, yeah. especially on 20. I so. use a an eighty meter loop here I have for years and yeah, it was a big difference between it. I had a G five R V up as a sloper, which was the only way I could fit it in the backyard, and then I did some measuring and figured well I can get a a horizontal loop out here and I did that and yeah, it uh a lot, lot quieter. Yeah. And I, I had to throw that shout-out to uh, Bob Heil because he mentioned it in the Ham Nation episode with those carabiners, and he's right. Those those things are easy to work with. Uh, instead of pulling that rope up over the tree limb itself and grinding against it, carabiners are a lot easier to do that same thing. <laughs> yeah. As much so, as Emil, Emil, if you were to tie a dollar bill instead of the carabiner, <laughs> uh, would a cheap ham offer to help you put the antenna up? That's, that's what I'm wondering. <laughs> you go up there and get it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I never tried that, Mike, but I'll have to try that. Well, I've got a, uh, it's actually a post off of Google Plus that came from 
Night Stranger. And I don't know his name or his call sign. All I know him by is Night Just Stranger. Just a stranger. Yep. At night. <laughs> In the day, he's a regular guy, I guess. I, I guess. Yeah. Uh, anyway, he said that RFI in the shack was really bad after he replaced his cheap Chinesium power supply in his computer with an Antec SU430 for 18 bucks on eBay. The noise floor dropped from a plus 10 to a 7, and he can hear 40 meters again. Wow. Wow. Frogs. Tonight we're going to look at frogs. Um, not the kind that you have in your backyard, but uh, I, when I was growing up, or I heard a lot about frogs. So let's have a look. Hello and welcome. This month's segment is inspired by the following email I received from Elliot K1MF. In it, he states, Peter, I enjoy your comments on shortwave radio listening on amateurlogic.tv. I used to do a lot of that in the 60s and beyond. Radio Netherlands was a favourite, Radio Luxembourg and many more. Great music and many good radio programmes. I miss those days. Cheers, Elliot K1MF. Yes, Elliot, I miss them too. Radio Netherlands was my favourite station also. I spent a lot of hours listening to Media Network with Jonathan Marks, and it would be fair to say that my worldview growing up was very much influenced by Dutch radio. Ultimately, it led me to study Dutch and to visit the Netherlands in 2015. My main shortwave radio in those days was, of course, my realistic DX302, but I remember from that time always hearing about a radio called the Frog. The Frog was, of course, the Yaesu FRG7, and today I'm going to show you it. At the outset, I won't recommend it as a shortwave receiver, because technology has improved considerably since then, but in its time, it was a very good quality radio. If you're into collecting boat anchors, however, this is one you would want to have in your shack. The first thing you notice when you look at the frog is that it's a sturdily built communications receiver. I was sorely tempted to prove this by once again getting the mystery guest from another TV show to drive over it with my Toyota Camry. However, whilst I'm sure the case could handle it, I really don't want to risk damaging this radio. It's just too nice. I got my frog second hand, but this frog is missing a leg, namely its power switch. If anyone has a spare from a junk radio, please contact me as I'd like to make the radio complete again. Let's now look at the radio's features. First, the frog covers 200kHz to 29.9MHz in a series of four bands which are selectable with the band switch. Above the band switch is a pre-selector to help tune in weaker stations. Immediately to the right is a megahertz tuning knob with a red LED that goes off when you are tuned to the particular multiple of 1 megahertz that you are trying to tune. You can tune the main tuning dial to add on between 0 and 1000 kilohertz. So a station tuned on 11900 kilohertz would be tuned to 11 megahertz, and then the main dial would show 900 kilohertz. 
the FRG7 did not come with a digital readout as it was an analog radio. At the top here, we've got a signal strength meter. And as the dial doesn't always exactly correspond with the tuned frequency, there's a dial set control over here where you can manually move the dial needle left or right to put it on frequency. Typically, you would tune in WWVH or a known station and then adjust the dial set to be right on frequency. Underneath the dial set control is a fine tuning control and under that a volume knob. One of the real pleasures of operating a radio like this is the main tuning dial. Digital controls just don't make my day. I much prefer a big heavy tuning dial that I can slowly tune back and forth to get right on the frequency that I'm trying to tune. Moving along to the right of the front panel, we have a front facing speaker which is a very sensible place to put a speaker. Under that uh, is a mode switch and the frog could choose between AM, lower sideband, upper sideband or AM with an automatic noise limiter. Uh, there's a light switch for nighttime use and a power switch uh, which is missing in my radio and sockets for headphones or for recording. Let's now turn to the back of the radio. The frog, or rather its Australian version, perhaps it's a cane toad, runs on 240 volts AC. It does, however, have a socket to run the radio off 12 volts DC. I used to run my realistic DX302 off 12 volts DC because I found I got less interference that way. To the left is a 4 ohms external speaker socket and in the middle is an SO239 antenna socket. Next to the power cable is a fuse and there's also over here two rods attached to the back of the radio on which to wind up the AC cord. On the lower right, four terminals marked SW, BC, E and Mute. SW is where you attach a long wire antenna for shortwave reception. BC is where you attach a long wire antenna for broadcast band reception. E uh, is a ground connection and ideally your radio should be connected to a good ground. And the mute connection shuts down the radio receiver when you connect that terminal to ground. That terminal is for when you're using a separate transmitter in conjunction with the receiver. Finally, there's a plate at the back with four pins. If you pull out the pins, you can remove the plate, like so, and behind it is a battery holder, which takes eight D-sized batteries, thus enabling portable use of the radio. According to the FROG manual, the circuitry is a triple conversion superheterodyne receiver. The first intermediate frequency is around 55 MHz, the second around 2.5 MHz, and the last at 455 kHz. The radio uses a wadley loop design. And what's that, you ask? Well, the first IF can be prone to drift. So the design compensates for this by mixing the first oscillator in twice so that any drift becomes self-cancelling. You can see this in the following block diagram. All right, we'll take the radio for a bit of a spin and see how it performs. So I'm going to tune to the 31 meter band, which is about 10 megahertz. And as you'll see, I've tuned to the 9 and just to the left here. And when that red light goes out, as I tune to the left, 
then I'm spot on. Okay, so I've tuned to about 10 megahertz, got the pre-selector set for 10 megahertz, ditto for the band selector, got it set for AM. Uh, now, it's already on. <laughs> I need that power switch. Let's uh, turn this up and see what we can find. Now, I'm up the top of the band, and if I tune to the right a little bit, that is probably WWVH the time signal on 10 megahertz. Now what I can do is move the dial set so that it's right on the 10 megahertz mark. And uh, so now I know my dial is pretty much uh, uh, set. So if I tune to the left, uh, keep in mind there's a lot of interference at my location. Radio China, I would say, or the China Radio International. Now, I would say that's probably Chinese radio in English. More Chinese. Even more Chinese. Chinese. Uh, we've got an English language station here. Uh, not sure who it is, but anyway, there you go. That's on about... Uh, Oh, nine seven seven zero or thereabouts. Oh, a bit of music. More Chinese. Well, anyway, now you can see with a, a strong signal. Yeah, that's got quite a nice, deep, mellow sound, which is. Uh, Quite pleasant to listen to. Anyway, that's how the radio performs in real life. Um, at, my, at my location here, it's about nine o'clock p.m. at night time, and uh, as you can see, it's just about wall-to-wall -wall Chinese stations. But uh, um, that's just what it is, and uh, there's still a few good stations that you can tune around and uh, listen to. So uh, I, I encourage you to get back into shortwave radio and uh, have a listen. Well, that's the FRG7 communications receiver. For its time, it was a very good radio receiver. However, if you want to dip your toe into shortwave radio, there are plenty of newer receivers with greater stability and digital readout that you can get at very reasonable prices. Still, that makes a great piece of radio furniture and history. That uh, that radio, I don't think you mentioned it, but probably the, at least in my opinion anyway, the uh, the best feature of that radio is the AM synchronous detector that it has in it, and, and most radios even today don't even have that. So if you're into mm -hmm. listening to uh, shortwave AM broadcasts, mm -hmm. that radio is still a very sought-after radio. 
I hadn't realised it actually had that feature, but uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that actually locks on to the actual cycle of the transmitted signal. Is that right, Mark? Uh, I mean, uh, Mike? Uh, yes, um, it's great for uh, you know for for uh, signals that are that are uh, drifting back and forth. Um, it, it tends to lock on, uh, as you mm. mentioned. Yeah, yeah. The thing I notice most about the radio is just the audio. Uh, it's a really deep, rich, mellow, real sort of radio you could easily listen to for hours. Um, real pleasure to listen to. That's what I was going to say. The audio, I like. I love the audio. And it was all red. Yeah. Yeah. The problem with a lot of, well, some modern radios is that it can sound a bit tinny. And uh, it's one of the reasons I actually don't like, I'm not a big fan of DRM, is because um, it actually almost has a metallic sound uh, when you're listening to it. But when you're listening to a really uh, good quality AM signal on a, a good quality AM radio with a wide bandwidth, preferably, um, it, AM can sound just so good. Yeah, I think a, a lot of the, the quality there is that these older radios had a, a broader bandwidth to them. You know, interference wasn't as much a problem during those days, um, and th- there wasn't as much crowding going on. So, yeah, they had a, a broader bandwidth on the radios themselves. And on AM synchronous detection, Mike, there was a, a software-defined radio package I used to use some with the Softrock, and it had an AM synchronous detector mode in it uh, that really, yeah, it you could really tell a difference when you switched it to that. Um, I want to say it's HD-SDR maybe had that. I don't remember oh. for sure which one it is well, I've now. I've got HD-SDR right here. Yeah. One I'll of have them to had, check that out. Yeah. All right, well, we're going to be back in uh, in just a couple of minutes here because we got a lot more to go yet. But first, let's pay a few bills. Advanced technology for advanced communications. Communicating has never been more fun than with ICOM. From DSTAR to SDR, ICOM uses the most advanced technology in their radios. The SDR you've been asking for is here. ICOM's new IC7610 is a high-performance SDR with the ability to pick out the faintest signals even in the presence of stronger adjacent signals. The new ICOM IC7610 is a direct sampling software-defined radio that will change the world's definition of a SDR transceiver. RF Direct Sampling System, 110 RMDR, independent dual receivers, and dual digicell. Whether you're looking to enter the world of D-Star or need a backup D-Star portable for your go kit, the ID31A Plus is the perfect radio. Easy to operate, the ID31A Plus is available in silver, red, or gold. Worldwide communications, share pictures and text messages, and it's IPX waterproof, compact, lightweight, and tough. Find out more about all the great new ICOM radios. Visit icomamerica.com slash amateur. Going to Hamvention 2018. Become one of the 100 lucky winners to take home a limited edition swag kit. Visit ICOM's website to enter into this April contest today. Thanks, ICOM, for helping make Amateur Logic possible. Absolutely. And speaking of special events like Hamvention, there's another 
event coming up soon right here in our backyard almost. Yeah, actually it? where we just came from recently. Yep. Uh, down in uh, Louisiana. Um, down in uh, it's going to be in Lafayette at the Lafayette Science Museum. They're going to have a D-Star Day. Triple D plus one they're calling it. I guess that's uh, takeoff of diners, drive-ins, and dives for those that watch the Food Network. It's uh, <laughs> anyway, it's pretty cool. They're going to have experts on how to get started in D-Star, how others are using D-Star for emergency and public safety communications, as well as programming and operational information for D-Star. So it should be pretty informative. Yeah, and they're going to uh, have some nice prizes there, too, an ID 5100A Deluxe, ID 4100A, and an ID 51A, and Jambalaya and email Postalaya. I don't. Hey! What? Okay. <laughs> Welcome to the swamp. I'm going to have to catch up with you after this meal and find out what Postalaya is because I'm not sure. I'm yeah. assuming it's a pasta version Don, of Jambalaya. Don Wilbanks told me that I, tonight. Oh, did he? Yeah, I had it the day before y'all came. <laughs> I mean, uh, was it the day before that morning when y'all were still driving in? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Are you, are you going to this event? I think I am. Actually, cool. Yeah, so so it should be a lot of fun. They got quite a lineup of speakers there. They're gonna have uh, amateurlogic TV there. No way. Yeah, way, awesome. way. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll be there, uh, and we're gonna stream it live. Uh, same place that you can watch all our live streams. It'll be on live TV, May the fifth, uh, beginning at nine a.m. Well, Tommy, have you got? Uh, an email over there? Well, I do have an email. something? I do have an email. And uh, he, the guy that sent it to me actually is in the chat room tonight. This is from uh, Damien, KB7IVK. Um, he said, Hi, Tommy. My family and I really enjoy watching AmateurLogic.tv. And if possible, while we're on a business trip in Dallas, we are wondering if we could meet for an eyeball QSO and just to say hello. We're currently staying in Grapevine, but can meet pretty much anywhere. Be heading back home in uh, mid-April. Hope it works out. And uh, so we did meet, and uh, I met his his family. His wife obviously has impeccable taste in right. uh, yeah. attire. Um, <laughs> super super nice family. Had a great time meeting. We actually met at Fry's. So uh, what better place to Fry's Electronics? What better place to have a, a nerd get together? You know, that's and, a uh, meet hams. A vacation they'll remember for years to come. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was a great time. Yeah. So if uh it's always nice to meet, you know, meet people that are watching the show and I really appreciate them hollering at me and enjoyed it. So I, I believe Damien's in the chat room right yeah, now, yeah. isn't he? Yeah, he's in there. Okay, cool. Yeah, said I heard it so early. He said he's headed back home tomorrow. So anyway, it's really great to meet you and your family and uh, maybe we get together again sometime. Well, the only regret I've got is that I couldn't be there too. <laughs> You know, yeah, it was it was fun, man. Yeah, so. well, it, it you know it is nice meeting people out. Yeah, you know that that watch a show that we maybe have never met before, and uh, yeah. always good to. So I've been invited to a couple of uh, ham clubs out there too. I enjoyed that. I met quite a few people there that that watch the show. It's always always a good time. Yeah, to do that cool. Well, Tommy. You and I recently, and it's, well, it's been, I don't know, it's probably a month ago now. We didn't show it earlier because 
we had a full show last time with the Rain Ham Fest, but we got together and did a little experimenting with some uh, some different D-Star stuff. Than, yeah, I think than we, we kind of, I, I don't want to say we broke the rules, but uh, we we had a good time and uh, we got tried some, some things that are a little unconventional. That, uh, that's the word I was looking for. Unconventional? Unco- that'll well, that's work. us. We should yeah. get that on our T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> well, George, we're doing something with the ID4100 again. Yeah, it was a smackdown last time between my 880 and the 4100. And as you can see, I won because I've taken the 4100 <laughs> now. <laughs> yep, you can't do anything but win now going forward. Yep. But uh, one thing we didn't cover when Ray was over here and we looked at it previously was uh, controlling it with Bluetooth. You know, the radio's got an optional Bluetooth module, which right. you're very well aware mm-hmm. because you installed it. But um, I- ICOM's had support for Android tablets for a good while, but from this radio forward, I think this is probably the first one. They actually have support for iOS now. Wow. So I think it's using uh, Bluetooth LE or low energy, mm-hmm. which is supported by Apple. Okay. So, uh, Today I thought we'd take a look at the the uh, I keep wanting to call it the Android app because I've used that one so much, but the iOS app on my iPad here. And, and then uh, you got a little something special we're going to yeah. do at the end too. Yeah, I got a little you? surprise. Yeah. Uh, so that should be kind of interesting. So yeah. don't run off till we get to the very end. Then you can run off after it's over. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got my iPad here. Let's go ahead and pair with the radio. I, I did make the the association earlier in it so to hook Mm -hmm. it up all you do is go to the app now the app's in the app store it's free and you can see right here it's rs-ms1i where Mm -hmm. the android one is a on the in the google store we'll go ahead and just open it up from right there and let's go into the menu at the bottom bluetooth connection it's already paired so it's connected now and on the radio, I don't know if you could see it, but a little message popped up. If you check out the display on the iPad, you can see we've got the same frequency that we have on the radio. So we're operating simplex instead of going through a gateway or something, just for the demo. For the for the demo, we, yeah. we'll do that, just because yeah. we're inside the building here and we're running off a dummy load. Yeah. <clears throat> so, But uh, to change that, you know, we can go to a repeater if we want to. You can hit the... Uh, the from down there at the bottom bring up the repeater list so you can go into the repeater that you want so i'm gonna go back to the simplex channel just because again we're using the dummy load here inside the building but if you wanted to connect to something you go here hit the two uh, you can do local CQ. You can hit uh, your call and if you have a your, your call set up, which I, I haven't set one up in this radio um, reflectors. Uh, use reflectors, links, so forth. All that stuff's in here, just like in your ID51. Yeah. The one thing that's also pretty cool is I, I kind of wish I'd have brought mine because I have it for my 5100, but I'm pretty sure the Bluetooth headset that I have and microphone will work mm-hmm. on the same radio. So you could actually leave this thing sitting around and walk around and not be tied down to wherever the radio is. So what you showed us right there just then is... Rather than going to the radio and and plugging in somebody's uh, my call and and going through or your call or whatever and 
doing a connection that way with the rig, you could just do it straight on the iPad there. You can do it straight on the iPad and not ever have to touch the mm-hmm. radio. Well, you'd have to do it for some things, but mm-hmm. general operation, you can use it right here. You can even change the power level by touching the icon at the bottom. Got a high power. And now you can see it's on high, but I'm, I'm yeah. going to go back to low since we're here in the cool. dummy load. But it's pretty neat. There's a nice feature here also, the map. If you touch the map icon at the very bottom of the screen, it uh, doesn't like it because we're inside the metal building here. But it's going to use my last position here. So you can see um, it's at my house, but you can see all the repeaters that are around. So if you touch the repeater on the screen and then touch it again, you can actually go connect to one of the repeaters. So we'll set mm-hmm. the... Uh, to. Well, it did set the frequency on the radio, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and you can confirm right there. Mm-hmm. So, if you notice, this is this is the DV mode on the iPad that we're used to seeing on the screen. This yeah. is almost using uh, this is like memory mode. If you were to set these memory channels up, mm-hmm. use it old school. But uh, this is what you need to be concerned with. When you get finished with it, you can put that back into into DV mode and use it the same way you used to. Yeah. Um, what else have we got here? Now, there's a few settings in here, things about the GPS, import and export uh, repeater list, things like that, your call sign list. So you can do that through the tablet as well. And uh, there's another cool thing here. You can uh, send text messages to someone mm-hmm. or a group of people that, that have the app running on theirs as well. Well, uh, there's a really another cool thing that you can do is... You know, that's that's data. It doesn't right. have to just be any D-Star radio. It can be, uh, you know, uh, some type of software you've got, or you can use even like a Kenwood radio. So I've got one right here, the Kenwood oh, D-74. So you're saying that uh, D-Star is, is not proprietary to ICOM? No, it's not on, just owned by ICOM. Um, mm-hmm. They're a big player in it. You know, mm-hmm. they've got more invested in it probably than anybody. But um, but there are other people getting their feet wet into it too. So this Kenwood radio is a good example of that. So this is a this is a loaner I got to just to test around with, and it's been kind of neat to play with. Yeah. Um, it it works with the Android app. So I've got an Android app over here, and I think well, why don't we try and send a text message back and forth, yeah. and maybe a picture or something. Okay. We'll see how that works out. Okay. So I'm going to go into my Android app. First of all. Let's turn the radio on. That might not be a bad thing to do. I've had such a hard time getting used to the menus on this thing. I'm used to my ID51, and I just have to think about the way the, mm-hmm. the menus are laid out. It's just different. So I'm not going to change the uh, the frequencies and stuff on here because I'll probably have to dig the manual out to to do it again. Um, you do for it to work with the app. You do have to have it in data mode. So if you notice at the top of the screen right there, it says data. Uh-huh. To do that, you go into the menu. So you hit the function, and I believe it was menu. And then there's a menu option in there to change it. Okay. okay so while we were playing around, we changed the frequency on the uh, 4100. So let's go ahead and change that back, and we'll go touch the uh, from. We'll pick our repeater list. Go down to simplex again. And I've been using that top one right there. And it changed on the iPad, and it changed on the radio. Cool. Okay, so 
I downloaded the software. Again, it's the RS-MS1A over in the Google Play Store. Uh, again, it's free. So I've got it right here. And let's see if my Bluetooth is connected. Bluetooth connection. THD74. And I believe it's connected. And I see the Bluetooth icon turned blue right there on the top of the screen. Okay, so we're connected there. I've put the iPad on the right frequency. Everything's good to go. Now I've got some messages over here where I've been kind of playing around getting things set up. So I'm just going to type in a message for you. Okay, yeah. it worked. I got a message over here. Received from N5ZNO, and you've got a notification at the bottom. You can see it. It's on 140. Yep. The frequency it came in on, received a text message. You hit it. Get some more information about it from N5ZNO slash ALTV. You can go over here also get the text message, hi from me. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Hi from me to me. <laughs> uh, the really cool thing is you can do pictures so let's let's try one of those okay that should be fine touch for one second select a picture i'm going to do the camera who wants you want to be the model this is kind of like deja vu man i'm gonna send one from the 4100 over here i'm gonna use that photo so it puts it up on the screen yeah and you can crop it or whatever if you want to. Yeah, I'm not sure that much goodness should be transmitted. Yeah, that's in one There we go. How about that? Good close up. Okay. Okay, done. And I'm just going to send it low quality so it'll send it a little faster. Okay. And I got to pick a receiver. I'm going to pick CQCQ. Oh, this is just like regular D Star. You could put. Yeah. It if you wanted to call sign route it to me over mm -hmm. through the uh, repeater and if I were in Dallas and you were here, whatever, you could do that. So let's go ahead and hit transmit. You cannot transmit using the Bluetooth headset, but I'm not. So it's preparing to send. You can see it going through. Uh, making blocks. Yeah. yeah, I see the radio. Uh, the Kenwoods Lit receiving. Yep. Fan came on in the ICOM here. That's you. Yeah. Your call's in that. So. Oh, so it knew that's who the message came from. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So we should be able to go over here to the pictures. Go over to receive history, and you can see the picture that we received, and that looks a lot like you. Yeah. That does look a lot like me. It's a good, res good resemblance of you. <laughs> <laughs> so that's lower quality. We can do a higher quality one if you want to. But uh, sure. Okay. Because that went fairly fast. It did go very fast. A lot faster than I actually thought it was going to do. Because mm -hmm. to be honest with you, that's my first picture to send. Um, so let's uh, let's do this again. Select a picture. We'll do it from the photos this time. And let's just pick the same one. Oh, that, actually, that's the old one we did earlier. Oh, yeah. We'll do that one. 
done. And let's go ahead and do it in high quality. And we'll do a bigger one. How about that? Okay. And let's start transmitting. No problem. Preparing to send. And over here on our trusty Android, we should receive it here in just yeah. a moment. This one's transmitting. The Icom's transmitting and the Kenwood's receiving. And it doesn't have to go just from the ICOM. The Kenwood will send it exactly the same. It doesn't right. matter. Mm -hmm. D star is D star. It doesn't care. That's kind of the beauty of it to me. And you can see on the screen here on the tablet, it's taking just a little bit longer because it's going through and sending blocks. It chops right. it up into packets. I like the little progress that it does on there. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that's neat. So this would be great for, you know, emergency things. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're out in the field and there were, you know, tornado damage, flood damage, whatever the case may be, and you needed to send... Oh, finish. You need to send pictures back or whatever, you could certainly do it mm -hmm. like that. It's a pretty cool technology for that. Picture transmission's been completed. Let's see what this one looks like. And let's go over here to receive history. You know what? It looks a, a lot like the other one, but better. Look yeah, how much, much higher quality. Look, yeah, yeah so it's very clear. Yeah. And we could have went up even a size bigger on the picture. So you can send a lot of detail back with it. Sure. Can. And that went pretty quick. Yeah, it did. So if you want to save it, you can hit save, save it to your to mm -hmm. your tablet or whatever. Turn around, and email it, or do, we'll do whatever you need to do with it. Cool, that's pretty cool stuff. That is. So now we've got uh, they've got support for iOS, and it actually works across other platforms as well, other brands. Yeah. Which uh, I think this may be one of the first times uh, they've run Icom software against the Kenwood Handy Talkie. Can we say that? I don't know. I just did. <laughs> yeah. Pretty neat. Yeah, it's cool stuff. So, anyway, thought you guys might uh, enjoy seeing that. Uh, I'm pretty excited about the iOS support on there. I am, too. And the, the fact now that you've got a choice uh, with my 4100 here. Yes, it's mine. Yeah, it's yours. And uh, You lost the SmackDown, but you still won the prize. I can use my iPad or I could use my, I guess I could use my Android uh, phone. Yeah, sure can. Cool. So, that's cool stuff. Did, did it hurt any, George, getting, like, sucked into that matrix? Uh, <laughs> no, after the first time, the second time was okay. I knew what to expect. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this won't hurt a bit. Yeah. I was impressed, I got to say, with the quality of that second picture there, though. That was not bad. Yeah, the, the first one had some artifacts. That's why we redid it. But, I mean, we sent it on low quality, so it compresses yeah. a, a lot. So, you know, any, any JPEG picture you send high compression is oh, yeah. going to have that in it but yeah the quality was great yeah and the fact that uh well we could use android and ios and they were talking to each other or kenwood and, and icon, kenwood and so icon pretty and they much were talking got to a flavor other. for everybody now yeah so that, that's cool it is um it's not proprietary to one company it never has been but you know kenwood coming out with that radio is certainly a good thing for D-Star. Yeah, absolutely. You know, more options, more choices. More choices, more better. Yep. 
Well, Peter, I understand you have an email for us here tonight. Yes, I do, in fact. And uh, I was actually really pleased when I got this email because uh, I thought uh, it sort of... It, it, this is sort of email that when you receive it, it, it makes you uh, makes all the hard work of making amateur logic worthwhile. So uh, anyway, I've got a, a um, an email from a, a David uh, who's a U.S. Army retired um, uh, or retired from the U.S. Army. He says, "Hello, Peter. You do not know me, but I've been watching amateur logic TV on our Roku device, and you've really stirred my interest in ham radio." I'm 56 years old when I was in high school. Uh, I had been in the ham radio club but never pursued it after graduation. Given your occasional references to performing research, I'm a research fanatic, and your segments on various projects, my interest has been reignited. Thank you very much for what you do and how you present your topics of interest. Because of you and the others on Amatologic, it's my intention to study, get my licence and set up my operation. Well, uh, I'm quite sure that with the um, the discipline which uh, uh, the U.S. Army is famous for, uh, that uh, 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 that you will uh, have no trouble at all succeeding in getting your license, David. And we look to hear uh, look um, look to hear you on the air uh, in the near future. And uh, thank you very much for that email. That's cool. You know, it's always great to hear from people we kind of helped inspire to finally get into the hobby. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Also, David, we also. Um, Maybe you're aware, but we also do ham college. Yeah. Um, so if you're interested in uh, some study guide material for the technician license class, we finished that whole thing. We're working on general mm-hmm. right now. So yeah. you might want to go look at some of those as well. Yeah, because we covered every single question on the exam in detail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. So that was anyway. Uh, good luck on getting your your uh, license. I'm sure you'll do great. Yep. Well. I've got uh, some sad news to report here tonight, um, and, and most of you folks here won't won't know this guy I'm talking about, but you will recognize some of his accomplishments. Uh, Tommy, you remember um, Clyde Hanley that we met mm-hmm. at VOA? I, sh- I sure do. Really, that was really nice fellow. Back in 2014, mm-hmm. the uh, folks at the VOA Museum helped us coordinate uh, getting Clyde to the museum there. Uh, I mean, well, he drove himself there, but they're the ones who made the contact and helped us, mm-hmm. you know, kind of kind of set up a place we could meet and all of that. Clyde was the uh, last remaining operator of the WLW 500 KWAM broadcast transmitter yeah. living. He was 91 years old in 2014 and he sat down with us for almost an hour and uh, I asked him uh, questions about his uh, history and radio and and broadcasting in general he spent a lot of years in television too this guy was there when some real history was made yeah he he had quite the uh, resume I guess for lack of a better yeah term but uh, but a very impressive guy Really impressive. Very, very. And at 91 years old, he was still pretty sharp. Yeah. Well, he passed away this past week at uh, at 95 years old. We shot wow. this, yeah. We shot this in 2014 and never completed editing it and posting it 
I kind of started on it, but I knew there were a lot of little pieces and things I was going to want to look up and stick in there of photos and assets throughout it. And I just did not um, ever found enough time to sit down and really do it. Uh, and I'm sorry I didn't get this done before um, um, Clyde is gone, but uh, that spurred me on this week to spend a lot of time editing on it. Um, we're, it'll be released very shortly here, uh, before the end of the month, uh, that interview with Clyde. I've got just a, a little snippet of the beginning of it here, uh, just to kind of introduce you to him. Uh, this doesn't tell nearly all about his career, but maybe just, um, well, just a little introduction. Hi, I'm George with AmateurLogic.tv, and I'm talking today with Clyde Hanley a broadcast engineer from the Cincinnati, Ohio area. Clyde, we really appreciate you taking out time to talk with us today. Glad to do it. It's my honor. And and you've worked in broadcasting most of your life? All of my life. Nin- All of your life. Started in 1941. I was a co-op student from the University of Cincinnati. My first job was to work down at WLW, midnight to 8 a.m., running the old 500,000 watts during the experimental period. So, Tell me about that. That had to have been that was some a real, experience. It was a real thrill. At midnight, we'd sign off of 50 kilowatts. We'd fire up the 500 kilowatt. The, the fire-up procedure took about a half hour before midnight. We'd turn on the, on the air and the water on all the... There were three power amplifiers in series. There were about 200 kilowatts each. There were two modulator units and one power supply. And then we used the 50 kilowatt as a driver for the three power amplifiers. And a 50 kilowatt, I mean, that's the biggest you can have on the air today. Yeah, well, we had, that was our driver. <laughs> and we had, we, we loaded that thing up at one night to 700,000 watts. Wow. And it was a real thrill. It's a real thrill if you're an amateur to dip your plate currents to 100 amperes. Boy, I bet. <laughs> you rocket through resonance, and that really felt good. What kind of voltage did the plate voltage did that? Fifteen run? kilovolts. Fifteen k. We had we had twenty four tubes. They were eight ninety eight a's. They were hundred kilowatts each. Seven and a half kilowatts just to light the filament on each tube. And we had thirty gallons per minute of water to cool the anodes. Wow. It's a six phase on the filaments. Seven and a half kilowatts. So, what what was your your first job there? Well, I. At that time, to, to get the distilled water up to the plate anode voltage, we had to use Pyrex pipe. Mm-hmm. There were none of these ceramic isolating coils available at that time. And I was only about 100 pounds. I was the only guy who would fit down in the vault to stop the leaks in the Pyrex pipe. <laughs> so uh, that was my main job. Then after we signed off, I would go through. We'd, we'd, we'd run the 500 kilowatts from midnight to 2 a.m., non-commercial. My job then was to go through and check for leaks in the water, feel every capacitor for heating, and the heated capacitor I'd have to change. Check all the connections. That took about two hours, and then I'd have a bite to eat. Well, so you'd have to climb up inside the transmitter to do all uh, this. Well, there were three power amplifier cubicles, two modulator cubicles, and the, the, the rectifier cubicle. And you'd have to move from one cubicle to the next and isolate each one. It was, a, it was a fascinating job. 
I learned a lot about it, about transmitters doing that. Oh, I bet. <laughs> did did you use the? Uh, I guess we called them the Jesus stick to hot sticks. Hot sticks, yeah, to short everything out before. Well, you... no, before you could get into a vault, you had to pull up a bar and that mm-hmm. grounded all the high voltage in that cubicle. Okay, so they had some safety built in. Oh, there was a lot of built-in safety on that. Yes, that's the only, I guess, five hundred kilowatt that. RCA ever built in the U.S.? Well, RCA, GE, and Westinghouse, all three mm-hmm. built it. Westinghouse built the, the cooling system and the power supply. Westinghouse, or GE, built the uh, transformers. Uh, RCA built the modulator. And By the way, our modulation transformers, we had two modulation transformers, 12 feet high, 8 feet in diameter. Wow. They were huge. Uh, did they have PCBs in them, you think? PCB oil? At that time, we didn't know what that was. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Did you work with any of the engineers who were there when it was built? No, it was built in 1933 and 34. Mm-hmm. I didn't start until 41. Mm-hmm. It ran from 1934 to 1939 as a full-time operation, daytime, commercial. 1939, Senator Wheeler of Montana railroaded a resolution through the Senate limiting the power of broadcast stations to 50 kilowatts. And so we had to shut down from, for, from commercial operation, but we operated from midnight to 2 a.m., non-commercial. That's when I was involved. Mm-hmm. Quite an amazing fellow in an amazing time. And, you know, that we just saw right there barely scratched the surface. Oh, yeah, there's a lot, lot of good content coming. Yeah. Uh, you could imagine I had quite a few questions for him. <laughs> George, you you mentioned that Clyde was 91 when you did that interview. Mm-hmm. That is absolutely amazing. He looks like he's 72. Yeah. Yeah, he, he sure did. He was sharp, too. He drove himself there that day. Um, yeah, he the, the, was the same age as my father, and we lost him this year, too. So, uh, you know... A lot of these older guys, man, they saw a lot of things that that we'd never see. Mm -hmm. But we'll let you know when this is posted. You really got to go watch it. If you liked uh, WLW and you liked the Voice of America, Clyde was was instrumental in a lot of the work that uh, went on to get VOA on the air there. So uh, and good. And good on you, uh, George, for for capturing a bit of uh, history, because once these old timers are gone, That's um, you know mm-hmm. you you don't have a second chance to go back and learn those tales by getting it down on video. Not just the people now, but people in the future will learn things from that. Yeah, well, good on Tommy too, because he was there too, running the cameras and handling the audio mm-hmm. and um, and doing all the technical stuff. I just sat there and asked asked guy questions I would ask him anyway. Yeah, you know. Uh, and thanks to the folks at the VOA Museum for helping set that up. Someone had mentioned that uh, it, the year before I think is when we did our tour of the VOA, maybe. Mm-hmm. It was. Uh, and they had mentioned there was an engineer still alive who had worked on the WLW 500KW uh, transmitter there and. We asked them the next year to help us line that up, and they did. And uh, Clyde was, you know, happy to come talk with us. Well, yeah, like I say, you just got to watch this. Some 
uh, really great stuff. He was not an amateur, but you're going to want to watch this anyway. Oh yeah, because, it's, it's great. Yeah. But also, if you know, if you guys haven't been out there on the tour of those those sites, right. you should go out there. They're really amazing. Yeah, if you're going to Dayton Hamvention this year, um, go to the VOA tour. They'll be doing it again. Uh, I don't have the dates and, and times in front of me, but no, uh, it was probably on their website though. Yeah, and uh, they have special tours set up through the Dayton through the Hamvention time. So. You know, after Hamvention's over, a lot of people head out over there and yeah. go on the tour. Yeah, they hold the hours longer into the evening mm-hmm. so that you can... Yeah, so it'd be worth your, your trip. I guarantee you'll like it. Definitely. I laughed out loud when they were talking about using the transmitter as the exciter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 50, driving that thing. 50 kW transmitter is an exciter. <laughs> that is, and that it got is it up crazy. to 700,000 watts. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know it's hard to even imagine that, especially you know that thing was built in the 1930s. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm guessing it was well over engineered, and probably uh, they were limited to 700,000 because they couldn't cool it. Um, yeah. It would probably do more if they if they had the ability to cool it. Yeah, well, you saw the tube that guy was sitting there in the front of it holding that was almost as tall as him. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was used in some other 50-kilowatt transmitters, too, I believe. And oh, I, yeah. I forgot, and on into the interview, Clyde tells how many of those tubes they had. It was a pretty large number. Um, they, they had a lot of that tube for the uh, uh, power amplifier, and I believe for the modulator, too. Yeah. So, um, anyway, you got to watch it. That That's... Yeah. Really so so uh, watch the, uh, I guess we'll post it on the regular channels. Yeah. So it'll be in the RSS feed and on the YouTube channel, yeah. Roku and everywhere. So watch for that coming pretty soon. Yeah, the editing's practically finished. I just need to do some type of intro and uh, closing segment for it. And that's all that remains to be done now. So we'll get that together and get it right out. Uh, we've got more to go, though. So uh, we'll be back in just a moment. But. First, let's get a message from our friends at MFJ. Are you looking for an antenna that covers a broad range of frequencies in a compact, well-built package? The MFJ 1868 Discone Antenna is the antenna you've been looking for. This antenna's ultra-wide receivability begins at 25 MHz and goes all the way up to 1.3 GHz, making the MFJ 1868 Discone Antenna a great companion for today's wide-banded SDR radio receivers, dongles, and scanners. In addition to the amazing receive coverage, the MFJ1868 antenna can also be used to transmit from 50 MHz up to 1.3 GHz. This broad range includes the 6-meter, 2-meter, 1.25-meter, 70-centimeter, 33-centimeter, and 23-centimeter bands making it an ideal addition to your test bench or for people that have limited space for antennas but still want great performance. A great characteristic of discon antennas is that they're broadbanded so you can expect low SWR readings across most of the range. This well-built antenna can handle up to 200 watts of power and has up to 2 dBi of gain. It also has stainless steel elements and mounting hardware so it can withstand the weather for years to come. 
In addition, the MFJ1868 has a commonly used SO239 connector and includes 50 feet of coax cable to make getting on the air fast and easy. All of these features at an affordable price make this antenna a great value for any amateur radio operator or receiver enthusiast. To see the MFJ1868 discount antenna and MFJ's full line of amateur radio gear and accessories, visit MFJEnterprises.com today. A lot of people forget that you can you can transmit on a discount because everybody usually typically thinks of them as a broadbanded mm-hmm. receive antenna, but uh, yeah, it's a really broadbanded transmit antenna as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. What are they? Uh, what are they? Uh, I, I don't think they have any gain at all, do they, George? No, there's no gain to it. The um, uh, documentation says two dB really? gain. Probably, maybe not on all bands. Not I don't on know. All bands. Yeah. Or but, or is that two dB I? Uh, well, it was two dB isotropic. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So, uh, nice antenna though, especially for what you're going to be doing with it. Oh yeah, absolutely. So you'll it. see some more of it here pretty soon. Yep. Mike, I understand you have. I don't. I don't know where this came from, but there's been a news story circulating around that maybe you can shed a little light on. Uh, yeah. Well. You know how uh, you've heard that saying, if something's too good to be true, it probably is. Well, a couple of weekends ago, I thought I'd have a little fun, but um, <laughs> turns out that um, people started responding saying, hey, I've been to the website, but I can't, I can't find the link for, or the page for the, uh, for the new TR9. And uh, it's one of those things that, uh, as a Canadian, I have to apologize for because... Uh, if if R.L. Drake decided to get back in the amateur radio game, um, I think I'd be lining up to buy one of the first ones because uh, back in the day they made some really awesome radios. And uh, if they could build a radio with those specs that I had in that link, um, <laughs> that would be that would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, uh, I know it's not a QRP radio at all. There, it's a what, QRO. No, no, that's a full full gallon QRO radio. <laughs> and uh just incidentally that uh, that little device there that um LD Moss device uh-huh. uh if you go to the NXP site they have a YouTube video and they they do a torture test and it is absolutely amazing what they do to that device uh while it's transmitting they even take a a screwdriver to the output to it and short it out and you can see sparks flying and and it <laughs> and, and it does it survives it's it's wow. pretty amazing Gee whiz. Well, we've got a couple more pictures here, Tommy. You know, this is the the place in the show where we will often stop and look at where the swag has been traveling recently. Yeah, I know the hat's been on the move. Well, I I saw the shirt, you know, uh, the black shirts right there with you at Fry's. Yeah. And here's a red one right here spotted in the wild. And a hat. And a hat. This is our friend Ralph, AB10P. Ralph. All right, Ralph. Uh, Ralph has impeccable taste in clothing and attire as well. Yep. Yeah. He's sporting the colors proud there. The hat, too, man. Mm-hmm. Both of them. And, of course, the other hat's been on the road as well uh, recently. And uh, there's John, K2BAG. You know, he is the uh, butler for this hat. Yeah, it looks like this hat's flying first class, man. Yep. In style. 
I've forgotten where he said they were going on this trip. I think out to the West Coast. Uh, but anyway, Tommy, if I if I wanted one of those hats or one of those shirts, say all I've got here is a Radio Shack shirt. Yeah, I know how I feel your pain, man. You know. But I, I do know where we can get some, anymore. though. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I know we have to use these out of old out-of-business clearance shirts here. Yeah. I paid it really, it really was a clearance shirt. <laughs> <laughs> well, where can I get some modern swag? You know, you, know that, you can go to amateurlogic.spreadshirt.com, and you can get uh, modern shirts. Not only shirts, you can get caps, just like the one you see flying in first class. Who knows? Maybe you'll be in first class, too, if you wear one. I just don't know. It's worth a try. It is worth a try. Yeah, we've got uh, golf shirts, jackets, sweatshirts. There's some Ham College uh, double secret probation sweatshirts yeah. on there as well. So a lot of things on there. Something for just about everyone. I think those uh, those Ham College double secret probation shirts, those were uh, created by the, um, the the great designer, the E3MIC. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and he just so happens to be on the screen right now. He does. And I understand, uh, Mike, you've been working on a, an antenna here. It's the inverted V E3MIC. Yes. <laughs> um, well, long story short is I uh, I knew I had to replace my, my G5RV antenna that had been up there for probably about 10 years and uh, I wanted to try something a little different. And, of course, I wanted to put... Remember that 4-to-1 ballon that I seemed to take me forever to finish? Well, yeah. it's, it's finally up in the air, and it's on the air now, and it's uh, feeding my, uh, my off-center-fed dipole. It's a good thing you did it before the thaw. Yeah, while it was that's, still that's, getting cold. Well, there's a funny side story to that, because I did it in January, and there was a fair amount of snow on the ground. But we had a couple of mild days, which we typically do uh, in January. And what happened is um, it kind of uh, melted the top of the snow. There's probably about a foot and a half, two feet of snow on the ground. And uh, I guess with the sun and the mild temperatures that we had for a couple of days back in January, it created this crust on top of the snow. So, uh, needless to say, I didn't do any video when I was putting the uh, the off-center fed dipole up because I must have looked at, I must have looked like a drunken soldier out there because what would happen <laughs> is you could walk on the surface and immediately when you stopped you would sink right down in the snow it would, the snow crust would give way and you would sink down in the snow so it was it was quite a job. Uh, maneuvering it through the backyard uh, in order to get it up. But, uh, yeah, it went up. It's been a long winter, but that didn't prevent me from swapping out my aging G5RV for an off-center fed dipole. I've always installed my HF wire antennas as an inverted V, as there are many advantages in doing it this way. Just one high support needed. The end of the wire antenna legs can simply be tied off and need not be high above ground, just about 10 feet or more. Because inverted V's are supported in the center, this configuration provides support for the ballon and feed line, the heaviest part of the antenna. With an inverted V, there is no sagging. Inverted V's require less real estate, allowing them to be installed on a normal-sized lot. The apex angle ideally should be between 90 and 120 degrees, but have been known to work with as low as 30. 
feed point impedance is closer to 50 ohms when the legs of the dipole are drooped, making it a better match for your transmitter. However, this varies with apex angle, antenna height, and soil conditions. Also, I have found that inverted Vs provide a limited amount of support for the mast by acting as guy wires, stabilizing the mast under windy conditions. Disadvantages well, inverted Vs behave very similarly to conventional dipoles, but keep in mind that dipole antennas are largely single-band antennas. However, multi-band designs, such as the off-center FED and the G5RV, permit operation on multiple bands, but they are considered compromise antennas. Here is my setup. I have 20 feet of inch-and-a-half galvanized mass secured with two U-bolts, 4 feet apart, to a 4x4 corner post on my deck. At the top, I added an end cap and a truss rod that is normally used for chain link fencing. One end of the truss rod is threaded. I drilled a half inch hole through the mast just below the end cap and fastened the truss rod with a couple of nuts. The end cap adds strength to the mast, preventing it from deforming when tightening the truss rod. The other end of the truss rod has a hooked end, which protrudes about 7 inches from the mast. On the hook end, I added a small rope pulley. You may be wondering about the purpose of the truss rod, and why not just attach a pulley directly to the mast? Well, originally I had a G5RV with 30 feet or so of window ladder line. Balanced lines such as twin lead, ladder line, etc. needs to be kept away from metal objects, and I needed a way of keeping it away from the steel mast, and still allow the antenna to be raised and lowered. At the base of the mast, I installed the rope cleat to secure the halyard, like a flagpole. It's also a good idea to keep Allen's away from metal objects, too. In my previous segments about the 4-to-1 Ballon, we looked at the Carolina Wyndham and the off-center fed dipole. OFC antennas are easily constructed. I used number 14 T90 stranded insulated copper wire that I bought from the Orange Store. It's just a wire dipole, but with the feed point offset instead of in the center. However, this also changes the feed point impedance. A flat dipole has a feed point impedance of about 73 ohms, whereas a typical OCF dipole fed at the two-third point is close to 200. In most installations, a 4 to 1 ballon is needed. However, feed point impedance does vary with installation height and soil conditions. Now that I have one installed, let's have a closer look at it. My main HF rig these days is the fascinating Kachina 505 DSP. One of the interesting features of this radio are the Smith charts that it produces. You can clearly see that there simply isn't enough wire on my 80 meters off-center fed for operation on 160 meters. And the 15 meter band is also unusable. Looking at the remaining HF bands, you can see which bands are close to resonance. The 80 meter off-center fed dipole is considered a 7 band antenna. Useful on 80, 40, 20, 17, 12, 10, and even 6 meters. Next, I connected my Fox Delta antenna analyzer, and it clearly shows the low SWR dips for the 7 HF bands. It also shows that the antenna is cut a little too long, as the resonant points are too high for most of the 7 bands, so a little trimming is still needed, but not a problem with an antenna tuner. Overall, I am pleased with the off-center fed, and I would certainly recommend this antenna to those looking to install an HF wire antenna, even more so than the G5RV, as I've found it to be more forgiving. Here are a few good tips that I like to follow whenever I build or install an antenna. 
Use Good Day Cron polyester rope. If you use nylon or cotton, you'll be replacing it in as little as a year. I was able to reuse my existing Daycron ropes that had been used for almost 10 years, and other than some minimal sun fade, it was still in perfect condition. Leave some slack on the halyard. Don't hoist the antenna all the way to the top. Tie the ends off first. You'll find it easier when securing the ends of the antenna without all that tension. Once the ends are secured, simply hoist up the antenna by pulling on the halyard until your inverted V is taunt. I always use stainless or brass hardware, wherever possible. If you're unable to get stainless, get nickel or galvanized. It costs a little more, but you'll thank yourself later for not having to fight with rust or seized fasteners. After attaching your coaxial cable to the ballon, be sure to weatherproof your connections. I like to wrap the connector with a layer of good quality electrical tape. Sticky side up for the first layer. Then flip the roll over and continue to wrap several more layers in normal fashion. You can finish off with coax seal if you wish, but I've never felt it necessary for connections that aren't being submerged in water or direct buried. Until next time, 7-3 from VE3MIC. How did it work? It worked really well, although the bands aren't really uh, no, they're not, <laughs> cooperating <are> they? <laughs> these days. I've, I've had a couple of, uh, of QSOs on, on 80 meters with it, and I'll tell you, it, it works a lot better on 80 meters than my uh, than my my full length uh, G5 RV ever did. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I would have kept, and I probably have a copy of it somewhere, but uh, I wish I would have kept a, a plot of the uh, the G5 RV, and just so you can compare it to the uh, to the mm-hmm. SWR uh, resonant points um, on the off center fed, because um, I, I found that. At least in my installation, anyway, the uh, the off-center fed uh, was resonant uh, where the band should be, unlike the G5 RV, where there were a few bands that were resonant uh, where they should be, but some of the other ones were way off. Um, yeah. Well, I you know, Tommy and I both use the off-center fed mm-hmm. dipoles for a number of years. You know, I think that's really the only thing I've had up for a long period of time. Yeah. Yeah, and not having not having to deal with that 450 ohm window line is is kind of nice too. Mm-hmm. Although you do need a ballon, um, yeah. but uh, uh, yeah. you can run feed line uh, coaxial line all the way to the top, which is kind of nice. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I, that makes. Hmm? I know we've talked HF Mike uh, back and forth over the air. We'll have to see how that one uh, works between us. I want to try. Yeah, it I, too. Yeah. I want to try a loop. <laughs> But uh, you know it's it's inexpensive wire, um, and um, it, I, I don't know. I bet you the total cost of that, other than the ballon, is probably I don't know under fifty bucks. I would think. Cha-ching, cha-ching. <laughs> is, it, is it com compliant? That is the question. Yes. <laughs> well, you made the ballon yourself, didn't you? I did. You know what? Those ferrite, toroid cores are not inexpensive. No, they're not. Emil, you've got, um, well, another email before we go tonight, don't you? Yeah, it's actually a post from the, the Facebook forum. Um, oh, okay. And, it, and it's from Don, um, who basically was just reminding everybody that the uh, field day packet is out. You know, he, he um, you know, the 28th. 2018 field day packet from the ARRL was posted up on their site, so uh, 
lots of information out there always the rules the uh the how to's and i'm hoping to have fun with that myself since i'm running it over at our club this year before we get out of here let's let's go around the horn one more time tommy do you have any parting words here nope uh it's been a great show had a great time and uh that's about all i could say about that okay what about you peter no, not much to add. It was great having Mike here with us. I really enjoyed that, and uh, uh, hopefully we'll get Mike back later in the year. Yep. Emil? Oh, looking uh, looking forward to seeing you guys down at Lafayette again. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like it's going to be a great thing. Um, and I'll just say, you know, we've been learning a lot lately about the uh, data mode, so I'm glad you did that segment, Tommy, on the 4100 and the data transfers because we've been talking a lot about that. In fact, we talked to uh, Ray at Lafayette the last time about using it over, let's say, packet mode. So, good stuff. Yes, pretty cool. Yep, worked great. And, Mike, it is sure good to have you with us tonight. Yeah, it's always a pleasure, George. And um, now that the nicer weather is coming, maybe I'll have to put up an 80-meter loop instead of that uh, off-center fed, or in addition to, I should say. Uh, because I'm I'm pretty impressed with the with the what I heard from Emil's uh, installation with his Delta Loop. If you've got noise issues, it definitely you you'll notice a difference. Uh, I did when I put in mine here. Well, I hope you'll come back and visit with us again soon. Well, thanks for having me, and uh, I've got some more irons in the fire, as they say, for other projects. So. Um, not much time to, to, to put it together in, in video segments, but, uh, yeah, let me uh, let me work on that. Okay, great. Well, thanks for being here with us tonight, everyone. It's uh, It's been a fun show, as always. Uh, thanks for watching Amateur Logic. And, by the way, join us uh, toward the end of the month for the next episode of Ham College. Yep, where we will continue on the general question pool. Yep, I'm not sure what questions they will be yet. But they will be from the general pool, I'm pretty sure. Pretty much can guarantee at least that much. And it's time to make your plans to come on down to Lafayette if you're in this part of the country. Yeah, seriously, if you if you are in this part of the country, come on. It's uh, it's going to be a great time. Yep. If you're at all interested in D-Star, that's, you, you need to be there. Yep. If not, uh, if you can't make it, then uh, watch the live stream. All right, 7-3. Seven, 7-3, three. Seven, three, everybody. 13th edition of Amateur Logic. Should we start over again? Today? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can we just act like it's the 14th? Yeah. <laughs>